0: In a moment, we're going to open the word, but I want to let you know about something really, really significant that's coming up that you're going to want to mark your calendars for. Two Sundays from today, our founding pastor, Guy Gray, is going to be up here preaching. He's going to be sharing one final farewell sermon before he and Maureen move to Southern California to be close with grandkids, to step into a new season of ministry and teaching and perpetual sunshine. He's going to continue to to be connected to Western Seminary. And and I know for for many of you, this news that Guy and Maureen are moving, it actually impacts you in a significant way. And I just want to just slow down and I, I I want to honor that. Many of you know, 32 years ago, Guy and Marine they moved to Portland to plant River West Church, starting in a basement. Just a group of people opening up the scriptures. And as they prepare to return to their Southern California roots, Guy's planning on sharing some lessons that he's gleaned to shine light on the past, the present, the future of the church. And in typical Guy Gray fashion, he will avoid any attempt to shine the spotlight on how great he is. And he will shine the spotlight on how great and glorious Jesus is. And so mark your calendars for Sunday, June 13th, because it's going to be a Sunday to remember. As we prepare to open God's word, let me pose a question to you all this morning. As you think back, over the last 15 months, how has the pandemic impacted your faith? Has it strengthened your faith? Or has it stretched your faith? Has it depleted your faith? Has it brought you closer to God? Or has it created distance, perhaps even disillusionment between you and God. Christianity Today published an article recently that contained a Pew Research Center survey conducted among 14,000 people spanning across 14 countries and posed these same questions. And here's what I found really intriguing in this survey. In the poorer, developing countries surveyed the pandemic hadn't actually impacted the level of faith among those surveyed at all. Hadn't strengthened and increased their faith, but it hadn't weakened their faith one bit either. But in countries with greater economic wealth, COVID has actually strengthened the faith of the vast majority of the people who were surveyed. I think I have a map. Nothing feels authoritative like a map right there. And here's what what actually really took me by surprise in this survey. As you can tell from the map of all the countries surveyed, the United States was actually the place where more respondents than ever said that the pandemic had actually served to strengthen faith. And to bring people actually closer in proximity and connection to God. Which threw me off, because we don't always see the signs of that, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. But as I thought about it more, it actually made perfect sense, because more often than not, our faith doesn't grow during times of ease, when it's free of hardships. Struggles, conflicts, disappointments. Rather, our faith is strengthened through seasons that actually feel a lot like Gethsemane. When we're brought to the end of ourselves and we cry out to God for deliverance and for help. And it's often in those darkest moments when God draws us nearest to him. So today, we're going to see in Luke's gospel, the scene is going to change actually from Jesus' darkest hour to Peter's. And wherever you're at today in your spiritual journey, I believe that God has brought you here today because he wants to draw near to you. He wants to strengthen you in the same way that we'll see Christ pursuing Peter in his darkest hour with grace in hand. So with that, I want to invite you to grab your Bible and open up to Luke chapter 22 as we jump back into where we left off in Luke's gospel. This morning, we'll be returning to the text and starting at verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. You also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly, this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is God's word. This week, as I reflected on this passage, I kept coming back, circling back to this strange phrase, this odd description that Luke captures in the first verse that we read, that Peter was following Jesus at a distance. Following Jesus from a distance. Perhaps it's because... We've constantly been been navigating distance over the last 15 months that that phrase stood out because we've all had a crash course through COVID in keeping our distance from one another, haven't we? Over the last 15 months, we've learned to acclimate to this strange new way of life where distance has actually become the socially acceptable norm. And while things like social distancing and Purell hand-washing stations that are positioned everywhere in our society have become like second nature to most of us, there are moments where I'm keenly reminded how dystopian and strange and weird things have actually become. One of these moments occurred this last week as we were walking our Labrador Alex, who prior to COVID, during every walk, Alex had the same goal. He wanted, like so many labs, to become best friends with every single stranger that he encountered. Everyone. But this last couple weeks, my wife and I have been noticing a peculiar pattern that has been taking place on these walks. Because as Alex sees strangers coming down the sidewalk, he has learned the COVID sidewalk protocol where you walk around or you go to the opposite side of the street and you zigzag and then you come back. And so when he sees people coming, he starts leaning away from people. Folks, this is how weird our world has become. My dog is social distancing. Even though this goes against every impulse and fiber in his Labrador being, he is practicing social distancing. Now, in many ways, this funny illustration is actually how I make sense out of what is happening within the apostle Peter as he follows Jesus from afar, from a distance in this account. If you think about it, I mean, slow down and think about this. This is such a strange portrait of Peter. Because it's completely out of character for everything that we know about him. Like a social distancing Labrador, this picture of Peter. Because he's the disciple who always wanted to be up close and personal with Jesus. He's the one who got out of a boat and walked on water just to be with Jesus. He's the one that insisted he would always be right beside Jesus' side, no matter what came, no matter if all the other disciples deserted him. Peter claimed, I'll never desert you. I'll always be right by your side. I'm your right-hand man. He's the one, as we saw the last couple weeks, who pulled out a sword and even risked his own neck to defend Jesus in the garden to stand by his side. This same Peter is now following Jesus, but there's a distance between Jesus and Peter. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time together this morning is I want to explore two questions. If you're taking notes, two very simple questions that will lead us deeper into examining what's really going on here in this story that Luke records. Question number one is this. What caused the distance between Jesus and Peter? And question number two, super simple. What closed the distance between Jesus and Peter? Question number one, what caused the distance between Jesus and Peter in this account where we see Jesus and Peter and, and Peter's actually backing off and following him, but from a safe distance. The way I see it, there's three things that actually cause this strange distance between Jesus and Peter. Disillusionment, fear, and shame. First and foremost, I think it's important to understand that, that Peter is following Jesus at a distance because he's disillusioned. He's disillusioned. Listen to how the Oxford Dictionary defines disillusioned. It's being disappointed in someone or something that one discovers to be less good than one had believed. Let me read that definition one more time. Being disappointed in someone or something that one discovers to be less good than one had believed. This encapsulates how Peter feels in this moment in the story, a deep disillusionment, a deep disappointment, not only in himself, but also in the rabbi that he left everything to follow to pledge his allegiance to as his follower. After all, remember how confident Peter was earlier, just in the same chapter, when he exclaimed, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I'm all in, Jesus. In this same exchange, in Matthew's gospel, Peter actually goes further and boasts, though they all fall away because of you, Jesus, I will never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And yet even before the rooster crows, in this account, we as the reader can see that Peter is wrestling with disillusionment. As he warms his hands, by the campfire. Questions and doubts must have begun to bubble up in Peter's heart and mind. I thought Jesus was the one who would liberate God's people and redeem Israel. But now he's arrested. And there's rumors that the religious leaders want him crucified. Am I really prepared? to put it all on the line and face death if he's not the Messiah? As Peter tries his best to sift through what he believes, Luke reminds us that there's another unseen sifting that's taking place in this story. In fact, just back up a few verses in the same chapter in Luke 22, we read this a few weeks ago. In verse 31 and 32, Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen Your brothers. Although the conversation between Jesus and Satan that Christ alludes to is not recorded, this account is reminiscent of the Old Testament scene where Satan asks permission to sift and test Job. You see, folks, there is this unseen spiritual battle that's raging an unseen sifting right below the surface of this story, which will thresh Peter's faith and ultimately strip away every outer husk of who he is, revealing what's truly within Peter's heart. The good, the bad, the ugly, the disappointed, the afraid, as I think back over this last year, I don't know about you all, but I want to just be perfectly candid with you. This has been a sifting season for me. A sifting season. So many outer husks have been stripped away. False identities that I've trusted in for affirmation False beliefs that have blinded me to so many elements that are present in my world, in our community, in our nation, blinded me to so much division, so many dividing lines. False expectations in broken people, in institutions and political systems that have failed so many outer husks have been stripped away. And while seasons of sifting, if you're in one right now, they're never pleasant. They also have a unique way, a sanctifying power within them to strip away false pretenses and deepen our faith, our trust, our allegiance, our worship, Jesus. Amen. I want to say this. If, if you're here and you're in the midst of a sifting season right now, a dark night, and you're wrestling with disillusionment, with disappointment in people, in churches, in church leadership, but deep disappointment, doubts. I want you to actually do something. I want you to wake up every day in this season and actually remind yourself every single day that Jesus Christ is praying for you. Write it down. This is a promise in scripture that I don't think we tap into a a, enough as followers of Jesus in the same way that Christ told Peter Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat but I am praying for you I'm praying for you what if every day you visualized Jesus praying for you and not tepid casual praying Gethsemane like praying, fervent praying For you in your season, what if you reminded yourself every day, Jesus is praying for me today? Isn't it a consolation when you're going through your darkest moments to have friends say, hey, I'm praying for you. Is there anyone greater than Jesus Christ himself to pray on our behalf? I'm telling you, River West, friends, the truth that Christ is praying for us when we're being sifted, is one of the greatest treasures that we have as followers of Jesus. So lay hold of it. Stand with that. And whatever disillusionment you're carrying, you'll bust that up and you won't feel alone. Amen? Amen. Second, Peter is not just wrestling with disillusionment. I think it's important to understand that Peter is distancing himself from Jesus, because he's afraid. Peter is afraid. In Luke chapter 22, we read this, let's read this again in verses 55 to 60. We see the fear welling up in Peter. When they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl seeing him, as he sat in the light and looking closely, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Every single denial in this account, on some level, is fueled by fear. But I think it's important to remember, by this point in Luke's account, because we're often too hard on Peter, I think. It's important to remember that most of Jesus' disciples, at this point in the story, they have turned tail and already deserted Jesus out of fear, just as Christ said would happen in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Christ foretold, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So of the 12 disciples, only two muster up the courage to go into the temple courtyard. John, the apostle that Jesus loved, and Peter, the other disciple that Jesus loved. Everyone else is huddled up behind locked doors out of fear that the same fate that is befalling Jesus will happen to them. So make no mistake, Peter is trying to keep a safe distance between him and Jesus so he won't be implicated and arrested. But he's still following Jesus, even at a distance. As Peter sits down again, by the campfire, warms his hands. He tries his best to cloak his Galilean accent and his association with Jesus in anonymity. He tries to blend in as best as he can. But as a servant girl squints at Peter by the flickering light of the campfire, Luke tells us that she gets a closer look. She looks closely at Peter, and then she exclaims, this man was with Jesus. Peter, you can see he's feeling the heat of the incriminating accusation. He flatly denies it. Woman, I don't know him. A few minutes later, there's another accusation, and immediately, another denial only more adamant this time around, and terse. Man, I am not. I'm not. Finally, the gospel writer John includes a very interesting element in this story. He tells us that a relative of Malchus, of Malchus, do you know who Malchus is? Malchus is the guy that lost an ear to Peter's sword. That's Malchus. Malchus is the guy who lost lost an ear. Uh, Earlier on in this account, a relative of Malchus, the high priest servant who lost the ear to Peter's sword, sits by the campfire and he immediately recognizes Peter. Peter's found out. Peter's fears, they all boil over. And Matthew tells us that In order to try and distance himself from Jesus, Peter lets out, (laughs) I love this, a herd of expletives to deny any association with Jesus. You want to distance yourself with Jesus? He just lets the F bombs (laughs) drop. I'm I'm not making this up. This is fantastic. In Matthew chapter 26, because it's so human, and I can connect with this. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 74, it says, then he, that is Peter, began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. He is a fisherman, folks. So he knows how to swear. So he swears, and then he says, I don't know the man. I don't know him. And for a moment, it seems like Peter's attempt that it works the accusations die down. So maybe the cursing bit, it satisfies the circle around the campfire. But then way off in a distance, a rooster stretches its neck and crows. And in that incriminating moment, all of Peter's worst fears are realized. Internally, he's thinking, oh no. My God. Jesus was right. I can't believe that I just denied the Lord that I love. The one who believed in me. The one who called me. The one who, who changed my life. Who changed my name to Petros, to Peter. I can't believe that I just betrayed him like like Judas did. I betrayed the rabbi and the savior that I love. Lurking in the shadows of the story, the enemy seizes this opportunity as he always does in weak moments to aim fiery arrows at Peter's heart. And so shame sets in And Peter, he comes undone. He just can't compose himself anymore. He's sifted bare. So he gets up, and Luke tells us in verse 62 that he went out, more distance, went out and wept bitterly. Which brings us to the third and the final reason that Peter is distancing himself from Jesus in Luke's account. He went away that night, away from Jesus, wept bitterly by himself because he's ashamed. He's ashamed. If we're honest, we've all had moments like Peter, where we failed somebody that we love, that we care about. These moments, they are brutal. Once Peter's eyes are open to what he had done, Luke tells us that he didn't just weep, but he wept bitterly. The root of the Greek term here means to cut with something pointed or sharp. Peter's cut to the heart, through all of the layers, the arrogant, cocky Peter, he's undone. But unlike Satan's sifting, the piercing sting of conviction that Peter felt in that moment isn't something that Jesus wants Peter or you and I to wallow in. Instead, Jesus wants to set Peter free, and you and I free from any toxic shame that the enemy might use to cut us. So as Peter looks up at the friend, at the savior that he's betrayed, something beautiful happens in this story. Jesus makes eye contact with Peter. He looks at him. I want you to catch this in verse 61. Look at what Luke records. It's such an important detail. It's easy to overlook or to read over quickly, but it's so sweet. In verse 61, it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter. He turned and he looked at Peter. Although Jesus doesn't utter a word in this moment, he also doesn't shake his head in disappointment or look away in disgust. His look is not a begrudging, I told you so. It's an empathetic, Peter, I told you this would happen told you. I wanted you to be prepared. It's a sympathetic look from somebody who knows what it feels like to be sifted and tempted by Satan. Jesus has been there in the wilderness, in Gethsemane. This look is not a look of condemnation. It's a loving look from a friend who's promised to pray for him Stand by him in his darkest hour. See, folks, although Peter was ashamed to be with Jesus, Jesus is not one bit ashamed of Peter. Not in the least. In fact, everything that will unfold from here on in Luke's gospel had to take place in order to remove every bitter barrier that separated Peter from Jesus and you and I from God. Every bit of disillusionment, fear, shame, everything that unfolded from this point on was to remove those barriers. So what Close the distance between Jesus and Peter? Well, let's read. In verse 63 on, this is the answer. This is what closes the distance. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him prophesy. Who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. They led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. What closed the distance between Jesus and Peter? It is the only thing that can actually close the distance between a holy God and broken, sinful people. A high priest. A high priest who is willing, unlike the high priest, the wicked high priest, Caiaphas in this story, a different kind of high priest who's willing to be beaten, to be mocked, to be blasphemed, to be tortured, hung on a cross for sin. Everything, every single detail of the story that Luke will record from here on had to happen in order to bring sinful, broken people back in to loving relationship with God. This is the only thing. The gospel, the good news that we do have a great high priest who's sympathetic toward sinners, who is willing to take all the shame, all the betrayal, on himself. It's the only thing that can remove sin's cruel and bitter barriers that so many of us are carrying right now in this moment. I know it. People came in deep, deep, deep disappointment, deep disillusionment, depression, fear, anxiety, shame, all of it that keeps us following Jesus, but if we're honest, from a distance. I wonder, in in a candid moment, in your own heart, are you following Christ at a distance? Is there anything that is keeping you distanced? Hear the good news this morning. Our God wants... To come close to you. Everything in Luke's gospel account was written and recorded perfectly with great detail so that we would not spend our days wondering if God is distancing himself from us. Every bitter thing that happened to Jesus Christ, all the mockery, all the torture, Everything that Luke will record that will lead straight to the cross, it's to close the distance. Jesus wants to close the distance, folks. He was crucified, and now he sits, as Luke tells us, at the right hand of the power of God, and he's praying for you right now. He's praying for for people in your life where maybe you're, you're estranged from them. He's praying for that. Situation wants to close the distance between you and between anyone in your life where there's barriers, there's distance there. Listen to this description of our great high priest Jesus that's recorded in the sermon in the book of Hebrews. In verse 24, it tells us that he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I'm going to invite my friend Eric and worship team to come up this morning. And as we're preparing our hearts for communion, I want you to consider that the same Peter in this story who followed Jesus at a distance in the book of Acts, there is no distance between Jesus and Peter whatsoever. He's fearlessly associated himself with Jesus in the book of Acts. Did you know in Acts chapter four, when Peter and James, they're boldly declaring Christ, they're preaching the gospel, the good news that God came near to draw sinners to himself, to reconcile us through the cross, that it was in the same courtyard that Peter denied Christ that night. And the chief priests and the rulers, they tried, they tell Peter, you can't be doing that. You can't be preaching this boldly here. And Peter responded simply by saying in Acts chapter 4, we cannot stop speaking of what we've seen and heard. That's a man who's experienced distance and experienced God and grace, close that distance.